We are on lesson eight of our winter quarter, and the title of the lesson is God is with us, which is an encouraging title. And the Psalms covered are Psalm 90 and 100, 92, 100. And we will go in detail over just the first two, Psalm 90 and 91. So, Lord, we thank you for these psalms. Included in here is the oldest of the psalms, Psalm 90. And it talks about the brevity of life and how that should make us pay attention to things that are eternal. So we pray that you, that we would take that to heart. Psalm 91 is about your protection, which we thank you for. And so we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us as we look at these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first section is the shortness of life. at Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. So notice at the top of the psalm it says, A prayer of Moses the man of God. So, uh, this is the earliest psalm, probably written during the wilderness wanderings, and it's Moses, the Holy Spirit through Moses, telling people to spend their lives on things that matter, <laughs> really. So, anyway, uh, verses 1 through 12, I'll, I'll read that. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain seventy years, or if due to strength, eighty years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Okay, so what do you think of that? Yeah, it gives you an idea of the length of what you can expect, the length of your life. So verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The place of protection is not necessarily a place. It is where God puts you. Uh, he is your protection. So if you're where the Lord puts you, then that's the place you should be. You know, the Israelites in their wilderness wanderings many times didn't like where they were, and they were complaining about it. 
but that was where they should be because the Lord put them there. And of course, you know, if they'd believed him, when he first told them to go into the land, they would not have been there. They would have been in the land. And so they were there for discipline reasons. Then verse 2, it tells us a little bit about God's eternal, you know, condition. Before the mountains were born, where you gave birth to the earth and the world. So there it speaks of creation. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God is eternal. He does not have a beginning. He does not have an ending. Uh, it's hard for us to uh, imagine that. But he is the uncaused cause of everything else. Um, where did God come from? Who knows? <laughs> you know, why was why is God there? I don't know. You know, it's, it is mind-boggling and baffling. The Bible tells us how things are. So anyway, verse 3, you turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. So that's part of the curse, right? Related to the fall. Man was created to live forever. Um, and then, you know, it doesn't tell us exactly how long, but not too long after that, a man listened to a snake and fell. And so that's why all of us have to face dying now. Because in Genesis 2, verses 17, God, speaking to Adam, says, From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, from the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So if Adam had faith in God, he would have believed that and not done it, but he trusted in the serpent who told him something different. Actually, it was Eve who told Adam. But the serpent initiated it. And so God, being holy, had to do something about this, and that is where the curse came from. And part of the curse was by Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you know, and that is our divine institution of labor, we are to work. Um, we are not to, to uh, lounge and have our livelihood given to us by the government, which is what everyone wants now, it seems like. So by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So until the resurrection, that is going to be true. That is part of the curse that we live under now. So verse 4 is an interesting verse. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. What do you think that means, or as a watch in the night? A thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or like a watch in the night. Elsewhere, I think in one of Peter's books, it says, To the Lord a thousand years is as a day, or a day as a thousand years. So God is not only omnipotent, 
omniscient and omnipresent. He he's also omnitemporal. What does that mean? Omnitemporal. Temporal. Omnitemporal. He's outside of time. That's why he can see the end from the beginning. That's why his book has very specific predictive prophecy in it that has come to pass very literally and has quite a bit of prophecy that has yet to come to pass, which we can rely on will come to pass literally because of this characteristic of God that he is omnitemporal. Omnitemporal. He can... He is everywhere at once, not only in place, but in time as well. Then verses 5 and 6, You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep in the morning. They are like grass which sprouts anew in the morning. It flourishes and sprouts anew toward evening. It fades and withers away. And he's speaking about people there. People come, they go. They come, they go. Come, they go. Uh, men, in contrast to God, are very transitory. That is not totally true. I mean, physically, we are very transitory. You know, our spirit is eternal. But our spirit leaves the scene of the activity here on earth after not too long, not too long after we're born. And we see that in James, James 4, 13 and 14, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So our lives are like a vapor. We have a short opportunity um, to be involved in eternal things. And we have an issue, and that's what verses 7 and 8 are talking about. We have a handicap in that we're born with a sin nature, and so subsequently we do sin. It says, for we have been consumed by your anger. So when we're sinners and God's a holy God, then that sets up in problems. <laughs> and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. I wrote something down that I can't make heads nor tails of. But God's wrath, you know, again, it's because of his nature. His wrath is because of his nature. He is holy, he is perfect, and so he can't stand it. He can't, he can't leave it alone. He can't let it go. And so he, ha he must deal with sin, which, you know, in the end, we're glad of that, because if sin was unchallenged, it would be terrible if it was just let to go on and on without end. But Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. That's the conscience. 
for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And the creation should spur us on to worship the one who made it. Um, and yet we don't do that in general. But God knows all of our sins. Verse 8, you have placed our iniquities before you, and even the ones that no one else knows, he knows, are secret sins in the light of your presence. So we, we really can't get away from it um, because of God's nature. So it's a good thing he did something about it, isn't it? For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh, and that's how people die, usually, isn't it? They wear out, and they just kind of, you know, there's a one last breath, and then they're gone. Unless it's a violent death. Then, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years, yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. For soon it is gone and we fly away. So our life is short. And even though it's short, it's filled with labor and sorrow. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's short and it's difficult. And we do things that cause a sorrow to us. Labor, in and of itself, is not bad. But labor under the curse is wearisome, right? I mean, the Lord instituted labor before the curse, and it was fun. You know, it was something to do for fun, to for enjoyment, and to be creative, you know, and to do things in the garden and things like that. And But then with the curse, that's when he said, by the sweat of your face, you will labor, and it became difficult to do, and so it you know, most people, their jobs irritate them in one way or another. You know, you can't find someone who's in a job who is perfectly happy. And uh, because it's it's difficult, that's part of the curse. So, but here we, we learn about the natural lifespan. Remember, before the flood, what were lifespans like? Much, much longer, yeah. up to almost a thousand years long. People would live for almost a thousand years. And then the flood came, and then when we read the genealogies after the flood, the lifespans were decreasing. They were still much longer than ours, you know, 500 years, 400 years. Enoch didn't live very long until he was raptured, and he lived 365 years. He was before the flood, though. And so gradually, lifespans decreased. And we know Abraham, we're studying the life of Abraham now, and Abraham died at 175, which is quite old and for us. Sarah died at 127 we're going to hear about her today. But then it continued to go down, and then it kind of plateaued at 70 to 80 years. And if you look at the average lifespan in the United States today, it's in the 70s. Um, I think in Japan, for women, it's 
in the early 80s. So Moses' psalm, you know, written like 1,400 years B.C., it still holds true for human lifespan. For the days of our life, they contain 70 years or due to strength 80 years. We've had a lot of people in our church or in the 90s. We're in the 90s now, you know. And so that's, I think that's an indication of the Lord's blessing on them. That's a blessing. Didn't Julia live to be 100, Julia Stedman? I think she did. She was pretty old. Yeah, so it can happen. You can last longer than that. But in, in general, the average is 70 to 80 years. So there was a, this is the little box that was in the quarterly. According to Old Testament history, people lived much longer in ancient times than they do today. Before the flood, lifespans often approached 1,000 years. Adam lived 930 years. One of his descendants, Methuselah, lived 969 years. After the flood, the average lifespan steadily decreased. Noah's son, Shem, lived 500 years. But Abraham's father, Terah, lived just 205 years. While Abraham himself lived 175 years, and Joseph lived 110 years. Moses lived 120 years, but apparently by this time, about 1520 to 1400 B.C., such an advanced age was unusual. The average lifespan had dropped to about 70 or 80 years, and there it has remained. So for about 3,500 3, years, the average lifespan has been that, 70 to 80. So what do we do with that? Verse 11, who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you, so, in light of these things, teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So because that our life is so short, we are to number our days, that we may present to God a heart of wisdom. What, what does that mean? How do you present to God a heart of wisdom in light of the fact that your lifespan is so short? Yeah, you, you turn to him. He has made a remedy for this. You know, Moses is talking about the problem, about the curse, about, this, about sin, about our sin. That's the problem. God has made a remedy for the problem, and it's Jesus, and he came. His, he lived a perfect life died a death on the cross, and our memory verse this month says that he died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And so if we put our trust in him, and uh, the fact that he did that, then he will grant us he has promised us eternal life. And so we need to obey Jesus, and we obey Jesus by believing in him. And then subsequent to that, he has told us how he would desire us to live through his word, and that is how we present a heart of wisdom. First thing is we believe him, 
and then we obey him because we do believe him. <laughs> you know, we believe that he's right. We believe what he tells us is right, so we that's what we we listen to it and we do it. And we don't do it perfectly. But we grow into it as time goes along, and that is how we present to God a heart of wisdom. So that's what we want. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right. Okay, so anything else about that? So there's a couple things that you want to spend time on things that matter. There are two things that are eternal in our world, and they are the souls of people and the Word of God. Those are the only two things. The souls of people and the Word of God are eternal things. And so we want to uh, devote a lot of time to those two things. Uh, mixing the two, <laughs> you know, the souls of people and the Word of God. So section B, the source of joy and gladness. Anybody up to reading the rest of the psalm? 13 through 17, verses 13 through 17. Okay. okay, thanks. Yeah, so verse 13. Do return, O Lord, how long it will be, how long will it be, and be sorry for your servants. So how does God being sorry for your servants come? You know, he's mad. He's mad. <laughs> That's what the first half of the psalm was about. He's angry. Um, he becomes sorry with confession. When you say, yes, Lord, I agree, I sinned. You know, and that's what Adam and Eve did. Eventually, the Lord, they didn't do it of their own volition. You know, the Lord challenged them first. And then they fessed up. But... Yeah, confession is how he becomes sorry for his servants. Uh, sometimes he's sorry for his servants without their confession. You know, it talks about that in the in the King's books. Um, and in the northern kingdom, especially where they never turned back to the Lord, said the Lord felt sorry for them, and so he gave them Jeroboam the second, and they had kind of a revival under Jeroboam the second, although he was not a good king. He continued in idolatry. So, but the Lord, if you confess, the Lord will forgive you. So, O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. That comes after confession. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Okay, now that makes me think, you know, this was... I suspect this was written during the wilderness wanderings. So they're saying, make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. So, you know, remember, they were wandering around for 40 years. The Lord told them that they would be 40 years in the wilderness until all of that generation had died. And so Moses is asking, Make us glad as just as long as we've been suffering, you know. Does God afflict his own? 
Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us. He does, doesn't he? Where, yeah. <laughs> what is it called when God afflicts his own? It's called discipline. Yeah. And so, it's for a different purpose than he afflicts those who are not his own. Hebrews 12 7 through 10 says, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Yeah, so, um, you know, we're sinners, we're born that way, and the Lord, we can change that as we follow the Lord, as we walk in the Spirit. We don't become sinless, but we can sin less than we did before. And the Lord uses discipline to train us that way. Then verse 16, Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. So they're, he's praying for the, them to see miracles again. Sounds like. Um, of course, they did see miracles in the wilderness wanderings. You know, they saw water from a rock. Um, they saw manna every day. <laughs> they saw a miracle every day, manna. You know, they did go through the Red Sea, and, you know, after that, that happened again when they went into the land, when they crossed the Jordan. So, verse 17, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. So Moses is praying that what we do will last. Don't we want that? We want what the what we does makes a difference. It matters. Um, and you know what we do. And Paul said that too. That your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know. What you do in the Lord is uh, of eternal value. So, but I mean, that's the only thing that's of eternal value. What you do that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, leads you to do, and that's why we want to concentrate on those two things that are eternal: people's souls and God's word, and mixing the two. Okay, so that's Psalm 90. That's a cool psalm, isn't it? Yeah, interesting one. Now, Psalm 91, section C, guarded by God. So, Psalm 91, 1 through 8. I'll go ahead and read that. When that one, we don't know the author. 
He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, or of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So what is the psalmist talking about here? What is the theme of this psalm? Yeah. He's talking about your security, right? He's talking about your protection. So God gives us security. You know, that's one of the things everybody wants. You know, we all want security. We want to know that we're safe. <laughs> you know, that we're not in danger. Well, we don't know that. You know, know there, there's no evidence. So, I mean, yeah. you can you can think that, but you can't really claim it as a tr as truth because there's no evidence for that. So, yeah, because, you know, you, you can personalize verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You can adopt that as your own, right? So verse 3, for it is he, the Lord, who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. So the psalmist is claiming that it is God that protects you from the traps of an enemy and from an infectious disease, from the deadly pestilence. The Lord protects you from infectious disease. And then he relates him as a bird. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Jesus used that imagery when he was looking at Jerusalem. He says, you know, how I wish to gather them under my wings, you know, but they wouldn't have it. And so they're going to face AD 70, is what he's talking about. So the result of this, if you do trust in the Lord, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the error that flies by day. The result of trusting in the Lord is you will not be afraid. And the Lord expects you to not be afraid. Yeah, we've talked about this before, but, you know, fear is a sin. Fear is a sin because it means that you do not trust God. And it makes the Lord angry <laughs> when you're afraid, you know. I mean, you see how the spies created fear in Israel when they came back from their spy expedition. And the Lord's response to that was, okay. We look like grasshoppers. Yeah, we look like grasshoppers. And the Lord said, okay, you're, you don't have to go into the land. You can wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until yeah, all of you are dead, and then your kids will go in the land. And uh, 
you know, so the the Lord does not take that lightly. And he, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's a goal is to not be afraid. Tristan. Because they weren't afraid. They said, you know, we can do it. The Lord, the Lord will help us do it. We'll be able to do it. So, um, where am I at? Oh, yeah. So verses uh, 7 and 8. So again in verse 6, um, you don't have to be afraid of pestilence. We have recent experience with that, right? COVID-19 and look at all the fear-mongering that went on with that. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you don't have to be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in darkness. So verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So the psalmist is saying the Lord will differentiate between the unbelieving and the believing. You know, you can't say it's universal because obviously believers died. I mean, in COVID, I'm talking about. And... Uh, I do think that it is incumbent upon us not to be afraid, to trust the Lord and not to be afraid, and, you know, to do the responsible thing. You know, I took the vaccine. I would not take it now. I would not have taken it then if I know now, if I knew then what I know now about the vaccine. I would not have taken it. It's been it's been the most dangerous vaccine we've ever had. It has caused more deaths than we've ever had. It's caused young people to die of myocarditis, um, and you know all sorts of there's all sorts of uh, side effects from this. Yeah, and now there's the there's DNA mixed into the vaccine. And uh, the Surgeon General of Florida just came out saying we should immediately stop the COVID-19 vaccine because the Surgeon General of Florida has come out and said the COVID vaccine should be discontinued immediately because it will incorporate DNA into the human genome. The messenger RNA inserts you know, I mean, that's how it works. And so, yeah, and so it would, it will alter the genes of people. No, and we don't know how, right. And so that, he, he, I just, I saw, uh, so I, you know, I, I saw, I saw that on TV and then I read an article, I think it was by that Surgeon General in Florida. And I'm, you know, I get the Epic Times, and I wonder if the Epic Times might have a vendetta against it because they, they're always uh, producing articles on the side effects of the vaccine. You know, it wasn't studied like the regular vaccines were. It was approved as an emergency. So I think you should be responsible. But um, anyway, the, the bottom line is we shouldn't be afraid. We should trust in the Lord because he will protect us. And, you know, chaos, verses 7 and 8, chaos can be rampaging everywhere around you, and you can be serene. The Lord can protect you while judging those 
who are around you again who are against him so the lord is our protection okay so section d the promises of his presence and that's verses 9 through 16 somebody want to read that verses 9 through 16 thank you sir Okay, so verse 9, you have, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. So protection comes to those who have made the Lord their dwelling place. What does that mean? You've made the Lord your dwelling place. You do that by faith. You do that by faith, yes. Yeah. You do that by faith. You know, I, I would say the one who has made the Lord their dwelling place is the disciple. The disciple, you know, the person who, um, they're more than a believer. They believe what he says. Okay, they're a disciple. They believe what he says, and thus they listen to what he says. You know, the the pool of believers is much greater than the pool of disciples. The set of believers is this big. The set of disciples is this big, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of people don't go past belief. They believe. Okay. And then they continue on doing what the world does, you know. Right. Because he does, hasn't allowed the Holy Spirit to do its work, you know. He, the, a believer someone who trusts the Lord for his salvation, but that's all he trusts him for. <laughs> uh, yeah, so verse 10, no evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. So there's infectious disease again. And then verses 11 and 12 is what Satan used, misused. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan used that, say, oh, go throw yourself off the temple. God will save you because it says he'll send his angels to save you. And the Lord said no. And he quoted Deuteronomy 6, uh, 16. You know. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So you don't want to make it so that the Lord has to save you, which is what Satan was challenging him to do. Um, the Lord will save you, but you don't want to. It also says that the, uh, in Proverbs, the wise man, you know, sees trouble and takes makes preparation or something. That's a, you know. That's not exact, but so, but the Lord does dispatch his angels to protect his saints. And we know that from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. He still does it, yes. So here's some more benefits of dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. Verse 15 He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. So there are a lot of benefits to rest 
in the shadow of the Most High. And I was going to go through some verses on the songs they didn't, but we ran out of time. So, <laughs> Lord, you bring up good things, though. Lord, we thank you for these uh, two psalms. They're, they're very practical. It let us know that our life is short. We want to use it for eternal things. And also to rest in your shelter, Lord because uh, we want to know you better and we appreciate your protection and the fact that you make our lives significant. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.